Yahweh uses flawed people for his glory. All right. There's a lot of flawed people in this story, but it gets God's glory going along and accomplished in the very end here. Okay. So while we read this very beginning, something I always remind people of, because for some reason we fall into this trap sometimes. And if it's in scripture, that means it's God ordained. There's a lot of mess in scripture. So it's not God ordained. Okay. All right. So, so I pointed out to say this. Always remember that the Bible records failings and it records sins just as much as it records triumph and it records victory. Okay, so we start this whole section off with David having six wives. The Bible is recording a fact. Okay, it is not presenting an example. We we understand this because so many people out there in the world, they want to open scripture, read scripture. Like, hold on. Scripture says you can have six wives if you're a moron. Okay. If you're an idiot, all right, that, that's, that's what scripture said. No, scripture is not giving you an example. Scripture is just recording a fact of what happened. It's not saying this is what should have happened. In, in all honesty, if you guys would check out scripture and, and study stuff in his seven year reign, it says that he got six different wives. I guess he figured out that six was enough and didn't want to go for the seventh or whatever. Uh, but, but as he does this, you know, here's what we got to remember that he's going directly against God's command that Israel's king should not have more than one wife. Now, that goes all the way back from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. So this is not something that God's wanting to happen. This goes against God's heart for marriage, according to what I read in Genesis chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 19, you know, for for a man and woman to be linked together, one. Uh, You know, so David is wrong in this. But Scripture is recording what's going on. It's not going to hide the fact David or uh, God doesn't have to hide David's ugliness because God doesn't hide our ugliness. Thank goodness. Okay, so so that's good. It's common. Reason being, unfortunately, is that they would think that great men uh, would be able to express great power and have more status with, with more wives and concubines and all that kind of stuff. Easiest answer to that, common ain't always right. How about that for good English, right? Common ain't always right. And, and this is kind of scandalous when you think about it, all right? So, so in, and another thing, and I, I don't know any other way to put this. Since we looked at it last week, I thought it was very funny this how chapter 2 goes in. If you're with us last week or the week before, we had mentioned that the world's view and some commentaries kind of point to David and Jonathan having this gay thing going on. Okay, I love that we then open this chapter and David's got a whole bunch of women. Not for the fact of David's in sin. Don't hear me wrong. But my goodness, if this don't show that David ain't gay. Okay, so I'm just I'm just showing you that scripture proves itself all the way through. All right. And that's probably a bad way of putting it. But I think you get the point on, on what I'm saying, because there was so much messed up. Uh, commentaries on, on other issues that we've looked at previously. I just want to make sure we lock down. You know, scripture confirms this thing. All right. David also gets in a whole bunch of trouble because some people read this and are like, well, hold on. If David was wrong, then why is God blessing him with, with all these children and, and all this stuff going on and this polygamy and all that? Again, the Bible records it's stating a fact of what happens. Now, if we want to really look at it, which I'm going to give you those, those six things real quick. David also reaps a lot of penalty, as we could call it, from these six specific children. Okay. So, and, and again, two ways to really look at this. When we look at this is, man, God is really blessing them a lot. And, and Crystal thought I was kind of being funny, uh, Friday night when I was, I was doing this, I had to add up, you know, exactly how far apart our children are. And I said, I'm one man with one wife and I've got three kids in two years and eight months. Okay. I mean, just throwing it out there for, for, for a worldly idea. And I'm like, and here we are thinking that David is blessed to have six wives in seven years and only six children. I'm kind of thinking maybe he's not as blessed as he would have planned as human. You know, from a human standpoint, he's probably not as blessed as he would think. And to prove how, how far this actually gets, 
Check out what happens with his children. So you got the first one. He raped his half-sister, and then he's murdered by his half-brother. But that doesn't seem like a whole lot of blessing going on. Then you got Chiliab, who's also known as, well, I should have went with the name Daniel. Thank God that he's got that name so we can say it. That's First Chronicles chapter 3. He's only mentioned one other time. So one of two things. Either this guy dies young, or he's ungodly and unworthy to be mentioned anymore. Okay? So that says itself. Absalom murders his half-brother and also led a civil war against his dad attempting to murder David. Doesn't really sound like my prize son, um, you know, going on either. Then you got Adonai who tried to seize the throne from David and David's uh, successor. He tried to take one of David's concubines and was executed for his arrogance. Well, these are just uh, not exactly what we call prize, you know, boys right here, right? And then we get to the last two, which I won't even try to say. Uh, what'd you call them? And either, either they died really young or they, they were unworthy because the only other time they're ever mentioned in all of scripture is in a, a generic listing of David's sons in first Chronicles chapter three. And I'm just pointing out that while we, while some people look at this like, man, David was getting blessed and blessed. No, David, David gets blessed. Don't get me wrong. But, but we can't look at David's sin. As him being blessed, when we look at David's sin and we see in reality, he's got some penalty and some troubles and, and, and some, some problems that come about for bad decisions. Okay, so that's as easy as we can get with that. All right, so let's go into verses 3 through 6, uh, or at the end of 3 through 6. I'm sorry, we just did 3 through 6. So listen to these kids. At verse 6, it says this, Abner was strengthening his hold, strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. I love how scripture words that because it shows us just how much of a punk Abner is. All right, here's why. Abner's a punk because what did he do? He picked a weak man to be king, correct? If there had been a strong man that he had picked to be king, he wouldn't have been able to get his power to continue to rise up in that house, right? So what he did is he picked, which we know was an illegitimate child, most likely, of Saul's. So, so he picks this, and, and who was in hiding or whatever reason that he survived this war and wasn't out there fighting with his brothers and his dad like he was supposed to be. So he picks this guy, and I think he picked this guy so that this guy could be the face why he could work his own power rising up in the background of the throne. Because it says very clearly that he was beginning to raise his own strength up in this. He was increasing his strength and his influence on the house of Saul. Now, then we get this uh, kind of fun, awkward thing that happens. Uh, you know, thank goodness it's uh, not Kid Sunday. And I don't know if you read this one with your, with your family this week. But you get this awkward sentence in it, verse 7. Right after that, he's raising up his power. Well, he raises up his power. And then verse 7 says something uh, about Ishobesheth. Uh, that was probably the best I'll ever pronounce it. It was still very ugly. Uh, you know, but, but he raises up this question. He says, why have you gone into my father's concubine? And, and we don't have to sugarcoat what he's saying. He's saying, why are you sleeping with my dad's concubine? Now, we don't know exactly what's going on, but here's what we need to understand why this is the accusation. This is a real serious crime. Not only do you have sexual morality that's taking place, but you've now got treason that's taking place. Because for this culture in this time, to, to take a wife or a concubine of a late monarch was not only to take their property, but it was to make a bid at the throne. So now you're seeing just how serious this accusation, you know, really is toward this man. So, so as he goes through this, and we may think it's kind of weird, but hold on, Saul's dead. What is it? What does it really do? It's really saying that this guy thinks he has either a bid at the throne or he wants to take over the property and the possessions of Saul himself. So he's doing a whole lot more here or being accused of doing a whole lot more here than ever. Well, when I read scripture, I love to compare it to us today. So if that is if that is the rule and that's the way they look at it, 
How much more true is that principle for us today when we talk about us being the bride of Jesus? When we're the bride of Jesus, the church belongs to Jesus. Therefore, it would be treason for anybody to try to take the bride of uh, Christ for their own possession. Now, you think about that. and We didn't line up that prayer by no means whatsoever. OK, I didn't even know he was going to pray, which I think is great. But, but you, you heard some of the stuff that was in that prayer about what we're doing with the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. OK, so if we're allowing the world to come in and take possession, commit treason over the over the bride of Christ, we're, we're messing up or more messing up bad. And we need to be aware of, of this rule that's taking place. And then we got to check out what also happens. So in verse eight through eleven. Abner gets real angry at this. Now, you could read this two ways. You know, and, and I'm perfectly fair because scripture doesn't say which way it is. One way, of course, he gets mad. He just got accused or he got caught of sleeping with Saul's concubine. Okay. Now, if he got accused, here's one way we can look at it. And again, I don't think either is necessarily wrong and, and neither is necessarily actually right. All right. If he's getting accused, here's what's happened. The king is thinking, you know what? He's raising up a lot of power in this house and I'm supposed to be the king. I need to do something to kind of hinder where this guy's going and what this guy's capable of handling. So he accuses him of something major. All right. And maybe that is why Abner gets so angry. I didn't do that. Why are you accused? You know, we get angry for accused of things we didn't do. Possibly or possibly Abner's thinking what we all know that he is thinking I can raise up my power. I'll make a stat. I'll sleep with that concubine to show I've got dominance. I've got power and I've got the ability to take over this throne if I really want to later on. Don't know for sure which one, but just know for sure one of those things are going on. And God uses this whichever way to get us to verse nine, where he says this. And and finally, Abner begins to get some honesty in his walk. In verse nine, he says, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. Now, this is Abner speaking, guys. Abner's now telling the king that he's going to support David. And finally start doing and fulfilling what the Lord has promised to set up the throne of David. Now I read this and, and I got to be honest for, for us today. If Abner knew that David was God's choice for king, he had no good reason to ever be blocking his run at the throne. Right. But but he did. Well, here's a good example for us to apply for our personal walks. In. How many of us know what ought to be true and what ought to be done and don't live as if it's true? Right. That's in essence what Abner is saying. Abner saying, look, I know. This is the promise that God is blessed and this is where, where God is taking this man. But I've chosen not to live that way. So, so here's your, one of your warnings. Beware of doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason. Beware of doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason. Because what Abner does is the right thing. He joins David's side finally, but he did it for the wrong reason. Now, if he'd have left and, and he'd went and joined David because it was God's choice to be king, that would have been great. We could talk about an awesome turnaround. But instead, why is he really finally deciding to go support David? Because the king just accused him of sleeping with a concubine. Don't mistake what's happening. The king is finally turning against him one way or the other. And he, he feels the wind beginning to shift and blow in the other direction. He says, you know what? This ain't really the area I need to be in. I need to go on to the other side to see if I can get this thing going the way I need it to go for me on that side. Everything Abner does is selfish, man. Everything he does is out of pride and out of his own self-motivation to better himself. Get to verse 12 through 16. Abner comes and he makes this deal with him. And he says, you know what, David, I, I'm going to shift over. I'm going to support you. I'm going to make your, your dreams and desires come true. 
We're, we're going to get your kingdom growing the way it's supposed to be. And, and he gives all this really good speech. And then David throws this in back and he says, well, that sounds good. I'm going to add to the deal, though. I got six wives, but I want my first wife back. Now, you can look at this in a couple of different ways. Has David really missed his first wife? Did he? I mean, we know that they loved each other. It said that way back in the book of 1 Samuel. So there's one option. He really missed. He really loved. He actually valued the, the thing of marriage and, and, and that behind it. Two, if he's going to make a legitimate run at the throne, doesn't he still need to be in Saul's family? And that would make him. That was Saul's daughter. Don't forget that. So, you know, hey, maybe he just needs to have that back so he can have this legitimate run going the way it was. Maybe he wants to, he wants Saul's son to write what Saul did wrong. Remember, Saul took his daughter back from David. You know, when he first started chasing him, he says, no, 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 she's going to stay here. I'm going to marry her off to somebody else. Um, and then you just run and flee. And he's saying, you know, for everything to be made right, Saul's son needs to give me back what Saul took. So you got three options of, of what's really going on here. But whatever it is, Abner agrees with this deal. David agrees with this deal. And you get to this one little spot, which you also have that awkward verse of Saul reminding or David reminding us of how he got uh, Saul's daughter, killing all those Philistines and bringing forth evidence to show that he killed them. Um, you don't know what I'm talking about. You should read it. Right. But then you get this thing of 15 and 16, man. And I, and I have to be honest, when I first read 15 and 16, I felt so bad for this guy. Like I kind of let a little bit of the romance, you know, I had, some, I had some romance going on with this guy. And I was like, I feel bad for what's happening. I mean, here he is. He's finally married this girl that he obviously loves. And, and to show that he loves her, look at what, look at what happens here in 15 and 16. Uh, Ishbosheth sent and took her uh, from her husband, Petit. Uh, but her husband went with her, weeping after her. Oh, it's so sad. I'm with you, Carla. It's like this, this little love story. And you got this guy getting his wife ripped away. And, and here he is over here and he's weeping and he's following her and, and he's going after her. And it's like, oh, this, this is just such a, a sad moment. What's really going on? And that's where I was wrapped up at. And then here's what God gave me. And, and it crushed my toes. So maybe maybe you as well. Here's the warning. The relationship that Mikhail had, Michelle, whatever you want to say, with this guy started in sin, so it could end in no other way than sorrow. Ah, don't forget it. He's married somebody else's wife, guys, and he knows it. Don't don't feel all bad for him. He knew he had somebody else's wife that he took, that he claimed as his own, that he married. So what he started in sin had to end in sorrow. And we sometimes get so amazed and we get so wrapped up in the romance of life that we're so amazed when, when pain comes our way when it was something we started in sin. Church, if you're going to start something in sin, don't be surprised when it ends in sorrow. Okay? Don't blame God when it ends in sorrow. Don't say it's God's fault. Don't, don't do any of that. Don't blame the church. Don't blame the Bible. None of that. You just own it up. I did this in sin. There's sorrow that's going to have to follow, you know, through on this thing. And, and there's where we're really at with this. So then we get to 17 through 19. 17 through 19. Abner holds up his end of the deal. You know, he, he, he goes, he gets her, he starts, you know, getting, getting some, some stuff going. He goes and meets with these elders. And here's something he tells the elders. I don't know if you guys caught it. I caught it and it kind of got me, right? He gets to meet with these elders and he tells them, you guys have been seeking David as king for some time now. What do you say? The, the, the guy that you wanted in the past, I think. It, yeah. In the past, you wanted David to be king over you. Now that seems like just a one little liner, no big deal. He's just, 
He's just talking to the guys. But then it caught me. So if they wanted David to be king and David's not king, who was standing in the way the whole time? Abner. Why is it that we let one person sometimes stand in the way of what we want? When we know what we want lines up with what God wanted. It's not like they're wanting something that God didn't want, that God wasn't crazy about. They want God's man to be king. In the past, at least, that they did. Right? But they never did anything about it. They let Abner come in and they let him promote this other guy to be king for no reason. Why? Go back to what Abner's motivation was. He could get this guy in. He had power. He had right. He could, it suited him. So that's the man he supported. And then when the wind blows, it suits him to support David. So what does he do? He supports David. As soon as his man finally started rebelling against him just a little bit, as soon as, you know, his man was, was accusing him of things, he says, you know what? I, I need to go the other side. He, he's quick to go. And here's what we need to be aware of. Beware of seductive offers, guys. When I read verse 30, 21, sorry, 21, he says, this is what he tells David. I will get, notice the eyes. I will gather all Israel to my Lord, the King, that you may reign over all that your heart desires. That's, that's a pretty seductive sounding offer, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to line all this up. Remember what I did for Ishmael? I'm going to do all that for you. I'm going to make sure this is done for you. Does it not remind you a little bit of Satan hanging out with Jesus in the desert? You remember that? When he pulls Jesus up on that hill and he looks at it, he says, you know what? I'll make all that yours. It sounds really good, doesn't it? Does Satan not do that same thing to us? Does Satan not try to make false seductive offers to ourselves all the time? So, so here's the question you need to write down and answer this in your personal walk. Why do we entertain the offers of those that have nothing to offer? Why do we entertain the offers of those that have nothing to offer? Now, I'm talking to guys, girls, men, women, and everywhere in between, okay? Because girls sometimes will be dumb enough, and yeah, I'm saying it that way, will be dumb enough to listen to an offer from a guy who doesn't have a pot to pee in, like he can actually give you something, right? Now, I'm not talking about just falling in love and love weighing out everything, okay? You can be in love all you want, you can be miserable in love also, all right? But 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 there's no way he can make all these promises to you if he doesn't have anything to be able to take care of himself. Right. He's supposed to be the man. You know, let him be a man and have his, his kingdom beginning to be built, his throne beginning to be established before y'all run off and have nothing for the rest of your lives. It's the same thing with you men, by the way. OK, now I know she may have one thing to offer. Yes. But if that's the only thing she got to offer, if she can't cook and she can't clean. And she can't. And now, if that's not your expectations, understand me. I'm not saying that's the way it has to be. I'm just saying if those are your expectations and she can't do those things, then don't fall in the trap of thinking she's the one. Does that make sense? Your expectations may be for her to be your sugar mama. I don't care. Right. Whatever yours is. If she can't be your sugar mama, if she ain't got no money. If that's your expectation, then don't go that way. Is all I'm saying. All right. I don't care what your expectations are. Right. All right. So am I clear on that? I don't want nobody mad at me. Like I said that the wrong way. Your expectations are yours. I've got mine. Okay. All right. I know I'm in trouble now. Good. Amen. All right. I don't even know how to recover from that now. Here, who wants to finish? <laughs> let's, let's go back to it. Let's go back to it. Let's go back to it. So, so what's happening in this verse is this. And here's a big one that kind of goes off of this. People can't give you what ain't theirs to give you. 
Notice what Abner is saying. I will make you king. You can't make nobody. You're not a kingmaker. God is a kingmaker. Maybe that's why God allows him to die here in a few minutes. Right? You ever thought about that? Now, I'm not saying the way he dies, which I'm, I'm going to get on Joab in a minute. He was wrong. But we know that God can take wrong motives sometime to get his stuff accomplished. Maybe God allows this to happen because God wants to make sure I am the kingmaker and not Abner. Abner's not a kingmaker. He can't give what's not his to give away. But yet, how often is it sometimes we fall into that trap? Somebody trying to give us something that's not even theirs to give away. It just doesn't work that way, guys. And here's the thing. And at this point, maybe you've even fallen into the other trap of reading this and hearing this word. You think, man, that's exactly what I need. In order for me to make myself successful, I need somebody who's going to look into my life and give me everything my heart desires. You know, part of picking the right partner, since we kind of hit on that a little bit, part of picking the right partner is for your partner to help you understand what you actually desire or should desire. That makes sense. Maybe they can talk to you in the right way and let you say hey, some of the things you desire aren't exactly what you should be desiring. In a good way, in a good way. You're a team, right? All right. So, so here's some of the, the problems then with Abner's offer, if we're going to look at it that way. First thing, this is a big problem. Abner attempts to take the place of God. Big problem. Somebody's attempting to take the place of God. You definitely shouldn't be letting them do that. Second thing he does, Abner wants control. So there's what you need to be aware of. Beware of people who offer gifts because they won't control. If somebody gives you something, that's one thing. If somebody gives you something with a stipulation, that's a whole other kind of ball game, right? So, so ask yourself then, is there a job? Is there a scheme? Is there a passion? Is there a promise? Is there a person that has promised to make you successful and to give you the desires of your heart that's now controlling you that shouldn't be? Be honest with yourself. Not being dead serious. Because there's some things in our lives that we've allowed to come in that have made these false promises to us, these false hopes that they never had the right to, and they're now controlling our lives when they shouldn't be. Which leads us to the third thing then, which we'll cover later on in the future. Abner can't deliver on what he promises. It's not his to give away, so he can't deliver on it, which we're going to see, you know, later on. But, but as I read this section of Samuel, I'm, by the way, I hope other people in the study of scripture do this. I'm fascinated what David has written in the book of Psalms. Because everything we follow through from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel follows right in line with things that David himself has written in the book of Psalms. For example, today, Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4, David says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land that uh, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, hold on now. Abner just said, I will give you the desires of your heart. But David writes down in the book of Psalms that you got to delight first, delight yourself in the Lord. And then he will give you the desires of your heart. So I would say he probably learned a pretty good lesson uh, with, with Abner here. One, never trust anyone or anything that wants to replace God in your life. Because later on in that same chapter, verses 35 and 36, here's how he closes it out. He says, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man. Huh. Does that remind you of anybody we've been talking about for two weeks? But he passed away and behold, he is no more. Does that remind you of anybody? Could it be that David's writing about Abner in Psalm chapter 37, who tried to give the desires of his heart when he realized, man, only God can do that. But here we are at the end, and this guy has passed on and is no more. All right, check this out. And here's verse 17. One of the first things Abner has to do, and it needs to be done, it needs to be pointed out. Abner communicated with the elders of Israel. Now, I point this out to say this. Abner had to be the one to tell the elders this deal that him and David made. Why? Because David couldn't be the one to do this. That'd be kind of even more scandalous, right? If David's, well, you know, me and 
me and Abner made this deal. You guys should start supporting me. No, Abner has to go there and tell them about this. Abner has to be the one. David doesn't do anything without the invitation of, of the people. Now, that, that's throughout the whole thing. So, again, if David is meant to be kind of an illustration and a picture of Christ, you know, I, I look at Christ in this. Yes, we know that Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's no mistake in that, right? But will he push himself in our lives? More than often, no. More than often, he won't. He, he chooses uh, to exercise his sovereignty only at our invitation. You know, so, so think, as we've just looked at this small amount, some people don't invite Jesus to rule over anything in their life. There's some of the tribes. Some people invite Jesus to rule over a small area of their life, like Hebron. That was, that was a small group of them. And then some give Jesus reign over everything that he has authority over, which is everything. You know, so, so you've got a good picture there of what's going on. And then you even get a good, as much as we don't get to use Abner as a good example, you've got a good example of what Abner does here. Abner finally surrenders to God's king. And the first thing he does is what? Recruit people. Church, when we finally surrender over to Jesus, what's, what's our job supposed to be? We should be recruiting people. We should be witnessing. We should be training. We should be, well, first, I guess we got to get ourselves able to do those things. But, but once we're able to get ourselves able to do those things, that's what we should be doing. And, and Abner does that. And notice how he does it. Nike would be so proud. Verse 18. Now then, do it. That's what he says. Now then, do it. He says, the word of the Lord has spoke this of David. It's the right thing to do. Therefore, we should be doing it. It's one thing to know what's right. It's another thing to hear what's right. It's another thing to do what's right. Just look at the Israelites through their walk right here. The Israelites might have talked about making David king, right? But they never crowned him king. The, the Israelites might have met together. They might have even wished in private that David was king when Saul was going off his complete rocker at certain stages in his life. But they never did anything to make David king, right? They might have admitted that they wanted David, but they didn't do anything to actually do it. They might have hoped for David to be there, but they didn't do anything to make it happen. So it tells me this, that our talking, our wishing, our thinking, our admitting, our hoping isn't enough. Because it's our doing that gets things done. And that's what Abner tells me. He goes, guys, it's time to do it. And the sooner we do it, the better. Because as long as you don't do it, it's left undone. Right? Until you've accepted Christ as your king, he's not your king. Until you've looked at sin and said, you know, I hate sin. I trust Jesus. Then you don't hate sin and you don't trust Jesus. So, so we need to understand the sooner we do this kind of stuff, the better. Because in verse 18, it says this, for the Lord has spoken to David. Now, this is Abner talking again, guys. He's talking about prophecy now. Now, now, he's a general in the army. He's not a biblical scholar, yet he knows the prophecies about David. So I just had to ask, how widely known were the prophecies of David during this timetable? Right? This is not like a secret thing that is out there. This is widely known information that people aren't obeying. And there's the sad part of it. Sadly, they might have been widely known, but they weren't widely obeyed. You know, it's one thing you walk into a church and they can know a whole lot about the scripture, but are they actually obeying the scripture? Right. We can know a whole lot about the word of God and things that we should be doing, but are actually obeying and doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I guess there is kind of where David also prefigures his his great, great grandson of Jesus. Right. Because Jesus fulfilled all the prophecy, yet didn't almost everybody reject him while he was here, except for a, a, a small, minute group of men. Right. So, so he's doing that. Verse 20 through 21. David receives Abner with this feast. Now, 
don't know about you guys, but I was just amazed that he actually fell through on it, right? Because Abner's the one who's caused David, what we found out last week, really most likely, Abner's the one who's caused David all his trouble. He was the little buzz in, in Saul's ear that made Saul want to pursue David, right? So, so all those years of hiding in the caves in the wilderness was all because of Abner. Him not being king after Saul finally dies, Abner's fault, right? The civil war that's been going on for seven years, Abner's fault. Uh, Abner is, is a jerk, all right? He's caused a lot of problems for David. Yet verse 20 says, David made a feast for Abner. David is showing himself to be wise, to be generous in how he deals with his adversaries. Now, there's some good advice I think all of us could take because all of us got adversaries and not very few of us probably respond the way David does, right? I mean, look at David here, man. All this stuff, a lesser man would have never been able to forgive Abner for this. A lesser man would have never been able to to allow him to come on in and sit at your table and, and eat with you, right? A lesser man wouldn't even have heard the words of you may reign over all that your heart, you know, desires, right? But here, here after verse 20 and 21, when they sit down and eat, here's where the scandal gets deeper. Because here's what happens 22 through 25. There's this guy, Joab who's been David's right-hand man, who's David's cousin we know. He's been leading his side of the Civil War. He's been taking care of business. His brother got killed years ago at the beginning of the Civil War kind of thing. Him and his other brother have really been wanting to get revenge this entire time, wanting to do it the right way in war. And he sees Abner coming to his own place, meet with his own king. You got to get this guy's feelings and emotions, right? Meet with his own king and then leave freely. So he rushes into David, verses 22 through 25. And he basically says, what are you doing? You had him right there and you let him go freely. And in verse 25, he puts it this way. Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Nir, came to deceive you. Surely you realize this guy is just doing what's best for him. Surely you realize that I am not pleased with you letting Abner defect and come on over to your side. So then you got one of a couple ways that or one of a couple of reasons why Joab may fear this way. One, maybe it is honestly Joab fearing Abner's a deceiver. Maybe he legitimately thinks that he's a double agent working and be a pretender of a friend of the king. It, it obviously looks that way. So that makes sense. Two, one we know for sure is part of it. Abner killed his brother. He is, according to Numbers chapter 35, he is the avenger of blood for his brother. So, you know, he's very ticked off about that. We all know. Right. And we all know that Abner, the only person Abner is afraid of, by the way, notice even Ishmael, the king, he doesn't respond because he's afraid of um, of Abner. The only person Abner is afraid of, though, is who? Joab. Remember that last week, right before he punched his brother in the gut and ends up killing him. He actually said, I don't want to face your brother. So evidently, Joab is one bad dude right here. Right. Or three. And, and here's just being honest. If Joab is the chief general. Of, of David and Abner is the chief general of Saul. Now you've got competition for a job. Okay. I, just throwing it all out there. Cause scripture doesn't tell us which one it is, but, but all three could be something that's going on in, in his mind right here, which leads us to verse 26 through 27 where, where Joab actually murders Abner. You know, and again, I kind of think personally God allows this to happen to make sure he's the only kingmaker, but that's just kind of my personal take on going against Abner's uh, line earlier. 27 says this. Joab took him aside in the gate. Now, if we're not really studying things and checking things out, we might not have really 
caught like what's going on other than it just saying where it happens. Joab is carefully engineering this murder, guys. So careful in this that he knew Joshua chapter 20, verse 7 said that Hebron was a city of refuge. So what does that mean? Abner's a murderer. If he's inside Hebron, he cannot touch him. Can't touch this, right? So you got that going. I thought that's who said, right? Where, where's, where's the drums back there? Yeah. So <laughs> you got this going, but, but look at how, 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 how plotted this is. He says, I know I can't touch you in the city, so I'm going to take you to the city gate and I'm going to kill you right there. He knows what he's doing. Now, and I'm, I'm going to be honest. I would kind of relate with Joab in some of this thing. Do we not ever try to justify our actions? So, so maybe he's saying, you know what? That guy killed my brother. I, I deserve this. There's one, one form. Maybe he's even more, more honorable than that because, you know, Joab really actually does some awesome things, as bad things as he does. He does some awesome things later on too, right? Maybe he's thinking, I'm doing this to defend the honor of my king. I'm doing this because I don't want my king getting hurt by this, this sneaky guy coming in. And if that's his attitude, here's what we need to understand. And for myself as well, guys, our sin and our treachery will never honor our king. He can have the right motive, but he's doing the wrong thing, which then again gives us another beware, right? We, we try to do the right thing, quote unquote, on the right. I think everybody agrees Edward deserves to die, but... So, so he, he tries to do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. He's actually just doing this, you know, out of, out of revenge. And we got to avoid that trap that Satan throws us because we'll deceive ourselves into thinking that, that we're honoring our Lord and our, and our master by the things that we do. And in reality, we're just bringing disgrace on his name. Look, look at the way David has to respond to this to, to show that David is, is, has disgrace brought on him. You know, not to say that he might not even be happy with the results on the inside. But publicly, how does he have to do this? 28 through 30. He has to renounce Joab. You know, he has to do it this way. He has to make sure that people understand. And he says this in 28. My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord. We're innocent. We did not do this. We knew nothing about this murder. You know, we've done other evils. You know, there's some other things. But we didn't do this one. And here's why he has to make this so public and so well known, guys. Because if he'd allowed this evil to go on, it would have set a bad precedent for his reputation. Well, if King David wants his way, he just has brutality and he sends out the hitmen to take care of business and get his way. Right? We, we need to understand this right here. That's why he has to do this this way. And then the chapter ends, which I'm going to go back over each of these things. Then the chapter ends with, with him mourning over Abner, kind of like he did with, with Saul. You're like, man, how could this guy, you know, do this and do it, do it in such a way that the people actually roll through this? David didn't want his kingdom established by violence, guys. We've seen that throughout his entire reign. He wanted his kingdom established by God. And you and I should be the same way. We shouldn't have to go take things through violence that we want. We should let God line things up for us. Verse 37. He says, for all the people of Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill. So, so whatever he does, it works. The whole thing is a mess. It won't be the first mess in David's reign. It won't be the last mess in David's reign. But the whole thing is just nasty. And some messes are inevitable. Maybe that's part of the chapter. Maybe part of the chapter for you and I today is just understand sometimes life is messy. Sometimes there's some messes that have to happen. I shared with the boys last night, Proverbs chapter 14. We were sitting at the table and I wanted to make sure they, they got it. 14.4 says this, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. My wife and her awesome translation of scriptures, making sure they get it. She goes, do you get it, boys? And, and, and Paxton's kind of 
kind of getting a little bit of it. Reese is kind of getting a little bit of it. And, and my wife puts it this way. The ox can do a lot of work, but there's crap that follows after him. <laughs> you get you a good biblical woman that goes through that right there, and you got it going on. You know what I'm saying? It's true, though. Now, I know it's kind of talking about the trough, so not really that end, but what comes after the trough is what she was talking about. <laughs> Let me give you three real quick things to wrap this chapter up. Three principles on how you handle scandal if you're a leader. Three things how to scandal scandal if you're a leader. That's it in a whole new sermon, so calm down. You're getting lunch on time. Number one, we talked about all of them. Number one, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Stop covering stuff up. First thing David does, 28 through 29, he says, look, me and my kingdom, we're, we're guiltless. Though. We had nothing to do with this. He, he utters the truth clearly, openly. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. The truth must be known. You look at scripture in Ephesians and the first two pieces of the armor of God, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Put those two together in a lesson. You know, you only know what is true when you can discern what is right. Makes sense, right? All right. You only know what is true when you can discern what is right. So next thing, and maybe here's another extra warning. Maybe there's, maybe there's four lessons here. The extra warning maybe is don't, uh, don't jump to false assumptions. Notice how easy it would be for everybody to look at David and Joab and think they did this thing together, right? Joab's his right-hand man. He's a leader of that army. It'd be natural to assume that David gave a, a thumbs up to his, his, his plan right here. But in reality, David knew nothing about it. So first one, tell the truth. Second one, mourn deeply. Verse 32, the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept as well. Something I've seen in life that I think we could all relate to is this. Words rang hollow. On somebody who hadn't actually felt the pain of what has happened. Right? You, you can speak all you want to speak and you can say all you want to say. But if there's no emotion and no connection behind the words, they ring on deaf ears. And what it says at this point, David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes. We talked about that, tearing the clothes and putting on sackcloth. Mourn over Abner. The king followed the stand. He led by example what's going on. They buried Abner at Hebron, this 31 through 32. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave Abner, and all the people wept as well. Sure, the guy was a, thr- a thorn in David's side, but David still grieved for him. He still led the process that needed to be led in this way. And then you get to the third one. Now, the first two we get as examples of what David did. David did a good job, man. He told the truth. He mourned. I don't think David did number three. And I want to tell you why I think number three is so important for a guy like David. Number three is you got to act with justice. Number three is you got to act with justice. David gives a great example in his first two, but then he says something in verse 39. So he told the truth. He mourned greatly. And then he admits something at the very beginning of verse 39. I was weak. I was weak. Though I was anointed king, these guys, they were more severe than I. What he's saying is, is Joab and his brother? I'm kind of afraid of them too, maybe. (laughs) Right? I'm a little nervous too. May the Lord be the one that repays the evildoer according to his wickedness. Now, when I first read it, I got to be honest. I I confess to you guys, you got to reread scripture as much as you can to get as much out of it. When I first read it, I said, man, that's a good lesson right there. David said, you know what? I'm not handling. The Lord will handle it. And God would not let me leave this section. So I'm I'm telling you, literally for 48, 48 hours straight, two days, I thought about this, this section right here, this verse. Well, it may seem so simple to you guys. It hit me like a ton of brick. Maybe that's because in a leadership position, it should hit you like a ton of brick. Because here's what's really going on. I had, I, here's what I wrote down. Very first note. What should David have did? 
if there's a problem right here and God's not letting me leave it, what should David have done? David is not a private citizen. Do we all agree? What is David? He's king. Whether we call him king over all of it now or not, he's the leader. Leaders are held to a higher standard. Correct? Let me make sure we all get this, because if not, it looks like we're just picking on David. I'm not just picking on David. I think this is biblical. All right? If he'd have been a normal citizen, it would have been okay with my first idea of, you know what? I can't handle it. I'll let God handle it. And there are moments you can't handle something. That's okay to say, you know what? I am weak. I can't. It takes a strong person to say, I'm weak. I can't handle it. I need God to handle it. And God's got ways of doing that. But when you're called to be a leader and you're called to be king and there's a brutal murder in your city. Notice now this took place. This sin took place in his city. There's a brutal crime that took place. His words were true. His tears were heartfelt. But he himself is going to admit that he never brought justice. And that is the biggest mistake I think he makes because, and to prove this, here's where, here's where God, God to prove it if you let him stay in scripture long enough, okay? Scripture proves scripture. To prove this, this is why, this is why God would let me, this is why David's so upset. Years later, David is on his deathbed. First Kings chapter two, verses five and six. He's on his deathbed. He brings his son in that's going to take the place, Solomon. Here's what he looks at Solomon. Now, this is years later, guys. You ever done a sin? Don't raise your hand. You ever done a sin and it stayed on your heart for a long time? I've been there. I've been there. You had a mistake. You did it wrong. You handled it wrong. And it stayed on you and God wouldn't let you leave it until you dealt with it. This is David. This is David. Because years later, at the very end of his life, here's what he says. First Kings chapter 2. He's looking at Solomon. On his deathbed, how long he's thought about it, you need to deal with Joab. Because of what he did to Abner. It, 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 no sugarcoat. Make sure we understand. You need to deal with Joe because of what he did to Abner. Here's what his confession. I never dealt with that the way I should have. I didn't have the courage to do what needed to be done. And that stain of injustice remains on me. Ooh. I mean, read it, read, read it for what he's saying. That's kind of my paraphrase of, of, of what, what my notes got from it. But that's what he's saying. He's telling Solomon, Solomon, you got to deal with Joe because I never did. And because I never did, I've got this stain on me. My failure to execute was on me. Now, now, before I got that, I had to write, well, why didn't he execute justice? I always, I always like David, so I kind of want to you know, give him that fist bumping and keep him on the positive, right? Maybe he thought this. I showed grace to Abner. Shouldn't I show grace to Joab? Let's be honest and call stuff what it is, right? Abner's murder was in a time of war. Yes, he killed Joab's brother in a time of war. It's different. It's different. This Joab, or yeah, Joab kills Abner just outside the gates. It's plotted. War is over. Peace is going on. Very different. Very different. Also, I said last week, which I fully believe, Abner didn't want to kill Joab's brother, which is why he took the butt of the spear and punched him in the gut. I don't think his intention was murder. Uh, Asher Shashil just ran like a gazelle and ran on through the, the spear and, and there went that, right? So, so maybe there's that. Perhaps he, he thought he grace. Perhaps he didn't feel strong enough to deal with it. One, because of what he says. These brothers right here are bad to the bone. Maybe it wasn't that he was afraid of them because David was a warrior. Maybe it was that he knew I needed them. With Abner being gone, who would have been a great benefit to, to, the, to the leadership team, I need these guys. Either way, whatever it is, verse 39 makes a, a statement that you and I have to answer for ourselves today. When David says, though I am anointed king, I am weak. Guys, when you and I are weak, we've got to decide if we're going to trust in the ways of the world or if we're going to trust in the ways of Yahweh. 
We've got to make that decision. And you've got to choose today. Well, what's it going to be? Right? David represents Christ a lot of ways. But here's what else this chapter shows us is that we need a savior. And while David gives a good picture of Christ and a lot of symbolism of Christ, in all honesty, he could never be Christ, which is why Christ has to come. Because we need that savior. We need that, that reassuring one that's going to come in and solve and take care of all the things that we can't, the messes of the chapters of our life that we can't handle. So I, I don't know what part of the chapter connects to you. There was so much in this chapter and there's so much I'm even leaving out. So I really advise you guys go back and check these 39, well, really 70 verses because we got chapter two goes in and sets everything up. Check out these two chapters again to see what God tells you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for recording the scandals, Lord God, that take place. God, you, you're strong enough in your word to know you don't have to cover it up for us, Lord God, because you put it there for us to learn from it. God, I pray that's what we do. Lord, I pray that we acknowledge the fact, Lord God, that we need you. We need your strength, Lord God, when we are weak. We need you, Lord God, to come in and show us the way, God. God, we need the courage to follow your way when, when the way of the world just looks so appealing, so seductive. God, keep us strong as your children. God, keep our eyes focused on you and the plans that you have, Lord God. God, keep us following the truth rather than just knowing the truth and not following through behind it. Lord, we love you. In your great name we pray. Amen.